Let's not forget the good news. Uh, North and South Korea. Did you see this? The presidents of North and South Korea met. Looked like the before and after to a Slim Fast and Supercuts commercial. <laughs> Both of them simultaneously. <laughs> That's a funny joke. Is that no? They all look alike to me joke? Is that what that is? No, I don't think so. You got a fat guy and a skinny guy and a guy with an awful haircut and a guy with a good haircut. I saw the video of Lil' Kim walking across, and he is rotund. He's a big boy. He is round. Oh, yeah. He, is he our biggest world leader? He's our fattest world leader, He's right? got to be. By far. Sure, yeah. There might be some African <laughs> king, I, I don't gonna know. I going to say, exactly. There's some 80-year-old king who's been sitting on the throne since the 50s, but... Um, maybe you ought to get up and get 10,000 steps in there, uh, your highness. Oh, speaking of eating, uh, final note from my breakfast adventure. So I ordered myself an omelet. Guess what the side dish was with the omelet on the plate? I'll give you one guess. Right. Mixed greens. A nice side salad with my omelet. <laughs> what the F is that? <laughs> Are you kidding it's a message. me? It's a message. Yeah, exactly. My drone business. <laughs> hey, Kim Jong, white man. Here's a salad. <laughs> a breakfast salad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. It was mixed greens on the plate with my omelet. Was there like bacon on it? No. What are you doing at breakfast then, salad? Get out of here. <laughs> yeah, this isn't your meal. Get. Nobody asked for you. Uh, came across this from the American conservative. Americans polarization has nothing to do with ideology. Interesting. We all know how polarized we are. Uh, you see it every single day. There are all kinds of polls to show it. All you got to do is flip on cable news, etc., etc. The claim that most of us have a coherent bundle of ideological constraints that inform our policy preferences and voting choices, voting choices has little data to support it. The number of consistent liberals and conservatives in the electorate remains very small. The Bible-thumping, pro-war, free-market purist is a rare creature. So is the gun-grabbing, abortion-loving, socialist atheist. Perfect conservative and liberal stereotypes are hard to find in the real world. Especially in economic issues, Americans exhibit a remarkable consensus for better or worse. That's how you end up with spending way more than you take in, etc., etc. Wow, the outer 10% are definitely controlling the conversation. But this is where it gets interesting. We know that Republicans and Democrats strongly dislike each other, but what pundits don't always like to talk about is how much partisans themselves increasingly disapprove of their own parties. Republicans are particularly unlikely to report positive emotions towards the GOP. More than other groups, Republicans hate the GOP, and the same is true for Democrats in their own party. Isn't that something? Good. The partisan media would like to interpret these findings as evidence that people are frustrated with their party's lack of ideological convictions. That the GOP, for example, has become a bunch of unprincipled rhinos, and thus its conservative voters' response with the frustration. Such an explanation, however, is at odds with the findings that the um, that few Republican voters are interested in principled conservatism at all, and the same is true for Democrats on the liberal side. I'd argue that both are true, but I'll let you to, you know keep going, and I'll quibble in a minute. When our party wins elections and enjoys real power, we hope that it delivers on its promises, providing peace, prosperity, and stability. When this fails to occur, however, our two motivations are in conflict, and we can suffer psychological turmoil. If you may, from a purely rational perspective, when our party disappoints us, we should reevaluate our support for that party. 
become independent or maybe join the other party. If our party identification is a crucial part of our identity, however, that is easier said than done. Right. Party allegiance is not fixed, but it's also not something that we will abandon easily because it's our identity. Right. We've discussed this many times. Mm Mm-hmm. How political affiliation has gone from, you know, eighth-ranked identity factor in America to first or second for a lot of people. The process results in a curious variety of polarization. Few people love their party and think it represents their interests well, Republicans or Democrats. Nevertheless, we increasingly hate the other option, and this is enough to keep us in our respective camps. And the more exasperated we become with our own parties, the more we demonize the other side. If outgroup hostility is more important to our party identification than support for policies in our own party, we may not actually place very many ideological demands on our own parties. Wow. Defeating our enemies is more important than advancing specific liberal or conservative agendas in our own party. Bingo. I think they nailed it. Yeah. I think they nailed it. I mean, uh, you know, I I lean conservative, so I look at it from that perspective. But, I mean, the Republican Party is nigh on worthless. But the Democrat Party is far worse, um, I think, is is a nearly universal sentiment among people who vote conservative. This is why I like multi-party systems better. I think the whole binary thing, particularly now that everybody's so identified with one party or another and they're both phonies and hypocrites and the rest of it, I think it's incredible. Incredibly unhealthy from a policy perspective. You're never going to get to policy. Nobody right. cares. Well, yeah, it's it's interesting. And or at least nobody in power cares enough to do anything. And we know this is true, and we've talked about this a lot. It's got so much more to do with your identity. You identify one or the other. And since you're unhappy with what your party is doing doesn't really match your values, you focus all your energy on hating the other party and getting wins for your side. And so the uniform matters way more than the policies. And what you end up with is if partisans identities are increasingly anchored to hatred of the other party, much more than the affection for their own party, electoral dynamics are much more fluid than many accounts suggest. Thus, insurgent candidates with questionable ideological ideological credentials, such as a Donald Trump, may be more appealing than one might expect in the age of ideologically sorted parties. In other Bernie. words. Oh, Bernie, all you, all you, if you can come along and and be better at claiming the other side is awful, what you represent doesn't matter that much. You're already dissatisfied with your side. Mm-hmm. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. I don't know where that and, takes us. And that's not all that Trump is or all that no. Bernie is or no. anywhere close, but I think it's still there's plenty of truth there. Yeah. yeah. I say, yeah, I don't know where we go from here, honestly. And my, my like, I'm thinking about my, my family, all Trump voters who just just are so over the the Karl Roves and the very various people they hear of from the Republican Party saying all this crap. They just can't stand them. Right. And they and and they probably wouldn't vote anything but Republican under any circumstance. Interesting. They're so unhappy with their own crowd. But would they go over to the Democrats? No. And neither and neither does it work on the other side. We we won't switch parties because we hate the other side so right. much. Yeah. Well, I remember the last election cycle we talked about this a lot how the immediately going to demonizing the other side. They're not unwise. They're not ill-advised. They're not making a mathematical error in advancing this policy or another. They're evil people with evil motivations that are coming for your soul. I mean... I wonder if the politicians the politicians just kind of uh, intuitively know this, or do they have data to back it up? But they know both. I don't have to have a plan for dealing with spending or the wars or anything like that. All I have to do is whip people up that those that other party is so awful. 
combined with policies that will benefit you materially. I was reading a bunch about this over the weekend and some of my travel time. And you just the idea that, well, I think we've changed morally as a country a lot. Uh, and that's why we're at the situation we are with the deficit. Um, the idea that it is repugnant to betray the next generations is just gone. Now it's just selfishness and politicians who are willing in a way that they didn't used to be to exploit that selfishness. Then you combine that with, you know, much more interest in, in my hero and your hero as opposed to policy. And you just, uh, you're, you're, I don't know, you're, you're a runaway locomotive with no brakes. I think that's where we are. The uh, I read this. I read chunks of this piece. I think it was probably a year ago or so, and I I googled it again to find it. It was on the uh, Ace of Spades blog um, about the MacGuffinization of American politics. The MacGuffin is the thing in a movie that the hero wants, and all that matters is that it sounds important, even if we've never heard of it. Or I thought the MacGuffin had the egg and the cheese. <laughs> um, and just, you know, whether it's the Ark of the Covenant or in the subsequent Indiana Jones movies, it was some sort of jewels from some sort of temple or the Maltese Falcon. I like old movies, you can tell. Um, but they then they break down an interview with Barack Obama by the uh, by Chris Matthews and his his friends there uh, in front of a college audience. And they go question after question after question is all about Obama's feelings and what it was like, and the rest of it, and and absolutely or virtually nothing about policy and about the problems of various policies or how challenging it would be to fix them. It was just all about the hero and what it was like. And uh, I think American politics has gone way, way down that road. You you know, some of you Trump fans are, are hilarious. We'll say something the least bit critical of Trump, and you go nuts. I mean, it's as if, you know, we question Jesus or... Or your mother, or something like that, um, and and likewise, you know, it, it's oh my God, the left will go just berserk if you question, you know, some of their people or premises, and I just don't get it. I just don't see the world that way. So uh, coming up, there's a lot more information came out over the weekend about the uh, East Area Rapist. Want to hit you with some of that stuff, and uh, finally found out something about his wife. Finally. Uh, reporters at her door. But I wanted to hit you with this joke, this uh, text that just came across. It's only Excellent. funny. Let's you, lighten it up. It's only funny if you've been listening for the last half hour. I like to impress a date by telling the waiter I could crush his neck with my very strong masculine hands. <laughs> combining, Soon as he comes to the table. Combining two stories in one. Hi, I'm Jared. I'll be serving you. Hey, 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 Jared. I got something to tell you. <laughs> That's when you do it. That was two great tastes that taste great together. That was like the chocolate and the peanut butter yeah, coming was, together. And, exactly. Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> well done. So um, the wife ain't talking, and I don't blame her. No. God, no. Uh, but what neighbors saw with the interaction between husband and wife with the uh, murderous rapist scumbag. And if you haven't heard what probably drove him, yeah, erg. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. Got a girl from the south side, got brazen hair. First time I seen her walk by, and I about fell up on my chair. Had to get her number, it took me like six weeks. Now me and her go. The country stylings of Sam Hunt. Sounds like Merle Haggard to me. Um, Sounds like that rap music. I, I, my kids are really into the uh, the local country station. 
and uh, fine. It's the most popular music in America by far. Um, the 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 Country Music Awards show Sunday before last was up against Comey, the big interview with Stephanopoulos, and crushed it. it as a national show. People like that country music, but it's just, and it, and it doesn't matter, but I just don't understand what is going on. It clearly is some sort of dance something or other, right? Yeah, it's dance it's pop. Top 40 dance music. It occasionally has a banjo way in the background. I guess. Or not. That's fine. I don't care. It's evolved. Yeah, that's fine. But it's, it's very, some, very popular. Yeah, at some point, though, if you got a big, giant uh, carnivorous cat with stripes on it, and you call it a lion? I just don't get that. <laughs> yeah, well, it's right. evolved. Mm. Now we call tigers lions. Okay. Why? No, I don't know. So the Golden State Killer, East Area Rapist, uh, inhuman monster, repeatedly called out, I hate you, Bonnie, during at least one of his terrifying sexual assaults, according to the Mercury News. Um, and that critical clue ultimately helped lead investigators to the perpetrator, a man with a Bonnie in his past. He was once engaged to a woman named Bonnie. Um, and is it possible that uh, having an engagement go south could twist you off that much and you'd hang on to it for that long? Aff, it could be a factor. It's also rumored that he has an... Uh, and, a couple of women, several victims, reported after the attack that he had an unusually small penis. And as Jack pointed out, I think quite aptly on Friday, to notice something like that in the midst of an experience like that um, is notable. Yeah, it would have to be an extraordinary aberration. Well, and and we like got, he's deformed, basically. Well, we my, they actually call it micro penis, which you'd think they could come up with a less hurtful nickname for it. Maybe some Latin phrase that you don't know what it is, it's like tired mountain syndrome. It's yeah, it's a little uh, kind of just naming little things. on the nose. <laughs> they say, yeah. But anyway, we got an email from a lady who said, "I I appreciate the fact that you guys don't like glorifying." These uh, predatory monsters by giving them a cool nickname, blah blah blah. But you got to refer to them, and, and she suggested we go heavy on that on the uh, small penis thing. But that's it. I'm not going to do that any more than I'm going to like uh, act as though. And and actually, it may be a factor in his sexual inadequacy and his anger and his hatred, blah blah blah. But I'm not going to. You know, if there's an average, that means you know a lot of the population is below average and. I don't think I want to go there. I'm not going to start making fun of flat-chested women or women with large thighs or something like that who fight them their whole lives. It's just it's genetic, like the way you're made. I don't, I don't enjoy mocking people for that. But yeah, it could well be because there, there have been a couple of, uh, you know, rapey serial killers I've read about that. Yeah, it was anger over sexual inadequacy that um, that drove them. <laughs> that makes more sense. Although you'd think you'd find a better way to deal with it. Um, victims said he sometimes a number of different victims said he left the room to cry in another part of the house. Wow. How crazy and tortured is this scumbag that he would commit these awful things uh, over and over, over years and years and years and years, not, you know, deciding, Hey, this is wrong. Right. But be, be so, or I can't take the pressure anymore, but be so miserable about it. He would leave the room for a cry. Uh, to cry, he would regularly eat food. Yeah. Um, trips to the kitchen not uncommon. He paused during one rape to get himself a slice of apple pie. <sighs> That's just—it's hard to even imagine that. 
Um, they they thought that perhaps he had kids in like 1990 or 91. He called up one of his past past victims to, to say, you know, hey, I'm still around. By the way, uh, remember I'm the guy that raped you all those years ago, and she could hear kids in the background and a woman. So wow. he made a phone call with his wife and kids in the room. Apparently, <laughs> I mean, what what's with going on? Shot. God, that's this crazy, insane. crazy mind. At the same time, incredibly adept at eluding uh, capture, eluding discovery. He used to tell victims uh, intentionally incorrect information to mislead investigators. That's a good idea. Um, He told one he'd been in the Army when he hadn't. He'd served in the Navy, but said something about pigs and hating police, uh, even though he was one, at least for part of his spree. Threatened to kill one victim like I did in Bakersfield, even though, you know, as far as they can tell, he never did anything in Bakersfield. Well, that's a good way to send probably a lot of resources in the wrong direction. Yeah. Um... When a Davis, California police investigator asked the one victim we referred to, are you sure he's saying Bonnie, I hate you, Bonnie, not saying Mommy? The victim said something like, no, I assure you, it was Bonnie. But there is some indication he may have called out Mommy to others. Um, In fact, in that Michelle McNamara book that was published earlier this year, she wrote that nearly a dozen victims reported that their assailant cried during the attacks. He sobbed and stumbled and seemed lost. He also God, whimpered so in a crazy. high-pitched voice like a child. I'm sorry, Mom. Mommy, please help me. I don't want to do this, Mommy. God, it's so crazy. So he's just nutso then, yet was able to live a life for decades, wife, kids, undetected, being that out there. I mean, part of his brain is just completely crazy. Yeah. So they, they tracked down his wife. She still lives in the area and uh, been knocking on the door, and she's not been wanting to talk to people. Uh, they did talk to a neighbor who said now and then he would show up at her place. She would never let him in, as far as they could tell. They would get in heinous screaming matches, him and his estranged wife. One uh, neighbor said there was a couple of times where he came out and said, hey, you got to gotta settle down over there because he's worried it was going to turn violent. Yeah. And uh, he's now glad that he never pushed it any further since the guy's clear, clearly capable of, you know, doing anything. Right. He's currently playing the pathetic old Bill Cosby-esque crippled old man thing. If he's acting, Um, his brain might have broke. It sounds like his brain's pretty broken already. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. It can be broken over here and work perfectly well over here. But um, as far as I know, the Unabomber was still a perfectly capable mathematician, you know, as he was doing his thing. But my question is, when was was the last time you committed a felony? I'd, I'd, I'd love to know that. Has it been forever? Does he still shoot neighborhood cats now and again, or or did he just think, all right, that's enough of that? There's more to come on this. I right. understand the wife not talking and uh, kids not talking, but oh, I get that. Yeah, um, I wouldn't either if I were you. But I am curious as to are you? Oh my God, this can't possibly be. Or yeah, I always wondered about him. Which is it? So on a totally different topic, if we want to work it in this hour, I have a couple of candid notes from classroom teachers. That will inform you if you have the guts to hear them. Wow, put a challenge on us. Exactly. You're like James Comey. A little like that. What's coming up in your news, Marshall? Trump not letting up on what may be the last White House Correspondents' Dinner. Minutes from now, Armstrong and Getty. We'll play a highlight on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Um, 
yeah, this White House Correspondents Dinner really blew up uh, over the weekend in, in the media, which the media is all in Washington, D.C., so it was a big deal to them. You probably didn't even know what happened, which is perfectly okay. Good for you. Yeah, good for you. But uh, more on that with Marshall's News. Well, President Trump blasting the White House Correspondents' Dinner, saying it was an embarrassment. He tweeted this morning, the White House Correspondents' Dinner is dead as we know it. Probably. This was a total disaster and an embarrassment to our great country and all that it stands for. Fake news is alive and well and beautifully represented on Saturday night. End of tweet. Well, it was, it was fine for a long time. Jack has objections to it he's raised before that they all get together and laugh about how the you know the whole thing is a big joke. But I get the White House Correspondents Association. I get the idea right. of the organization. But the, the dinner just got way too big and glitzy and, and self-obsessed and, and you know pleased with itself. His comments coming as the host and comedian Michelle Wolf is facing a lot of criticism for her personal attacks on members of the administration, like White House spokesperson Sarah Sanders. I actually really like Sarah. I think she's very resourceful. Like, she burns facts, and then she uses that ash to create a perfect smoky eye. Like, maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's lies. It's probably lies. So... Mika Brzezinski, that, so that, to me, that right. I, I don't see that as that harmful a joke. What was the, maybe she was born with it? I don't know. Uh, an old uh, makeup, maybe she's born with it, maybe it's Maybelline. It was an oh, old makeup okay. tagline. Wow, yeah. okay. But anyway, it wasn't a criticism of her looks to me. It was a criticism of her being a liar, which I would think you'd be more bothered by. But um, uh, I didn't see it as a shot at her looks. Did Not you? really. I mean, it's no. a comment on her looks. Like if I if I made a comment that you have brown hair, but that's not a shot. Or is the smoky eye out, and I'm just not hip to this? <laughs> right. or but I'm anyway, lost. Mika Brzezinski of MSNBC's Morning Joe tweeted um, a whole bunch of tweets, but this is one of them. Watching a wife and mother be humiliated on national television for her looks is deplorable. I've experienced insults about my appearance from the president. All women have a duty to unite when these attacks happen. A White House Correspondents Association owes Sarah an apology. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't know. I, I didn't think that was that big a deal. And then gets back to the: uh, Are we saying you because you clearly can make jokes about men's looks? It happens all the time. See Trump's hair right. in the in the book by Comey. You can do it to men, but not women. Is that what we've decided? I'm fine with that, but it is a double standard, and I thought we were supposed to be against that sort of thing. Yeah, I don't know. We're in a weird period for that. I was. You watched 60 Minutes yesterday. They were talking about um, trying to increase economic diversity in colleges, not mm-hmm. just racial diversity, right. which is something we've been calling for for a very long time. Now, that's diversity. You got a bunch of uh, rich uh, country clubbing people of various colors. That's not diversity. Um, but anyway, uh, what was my point? When I was in the MBA program at the University of Kansas, right. I had a similar experience as one of the students on the 60 Minutes last night. Where everybody said, hey, we're all going out tomorrow afternoon to do something. And I, and I said, I got to work. I was the only one in the MBA program with a job. Yeah. The Ironic. only one that had a job, which wow. was really amazing Ironic. to me. But one of the things that amused me in that report, and I've read it a bunch lately, is people uh, just fighting bitterly, yelling, chanting, marching for uh, women to have a chance while they are a large majority now of undergrads and degree recipients. So, how in the world is there need for some sort of up-with-women movement on our college campuses? I mean, you're anti-rape or something like that. Right. That I get completely. That's what I've been saying for a long time. You already won. Right. You're, you, you won. It's, it's over. If you, if you want to have any equality thing, you need to worry about boys at this point in college. 
What about Dr. Ronnie? Dr. Ronnie Jackson will oh, reportedly man. not return to his job as President Trump's personal doctor. Thanks for the nomination, Mr. POTUS. After... So even though Bush loved him, yeah. he was on the White House staff. He wasn't right. the president's personal doctor, but he was on the medical staff. Bush loved him. Obama loved him. Right. He was Obama's personal doctor for him, his wife, and his two daughters. Right. Loved then, the guy. Now Trump loves him. Trump loves him, but now he's been run out of town. How do you explain that? Now, why did he? Why is he not going back to his regular gig? Well, Politico is saying that the Navy officer who filled a position for Jackson last month, that officer is going to stay on the job. No word on exactly why he's not going to try and reclaim it. Wow, I wonder if the Navy just said, you know, it's probably best to... We don't want this job to have right. a high profile. Well, we'll find something else for you to do. Here, swab this deck. Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna stay on the uh, on the medical uh, team at the White House for a while. That's the way they're saying it. So right. maybe he'll just get a nice retirement, handing out drugs like they're candy and crashing his car drunkenly into trees. Apparently, yeah. Except that nobody can find any record of that ever hap- ever right. happening, and it seems it was complete fiction by Senator Tester, soon to be former Senator Tester of Montana. I'm, the point was made, and his opponent will make this uh, utilizing the most skilled writers he can find in Montana and elsewhere, that you took an active-duty military officer with a great reputation, and you tried to assassinate his character with lies. Right. And Tester's going to have to babble some response to that. Bill Cosby. Rip off the taxpayer as much as you can while it lasts, Senator, because you're out. Bill Cosby reportedly is saying he is mentally preparing for time behind bars and compares himself to former South African President (laughs) Nelson Mandela. (laughs) Page page six, the New York Post published a column stating Cosby has spoken with them repeatedly over the past year under terms that nothing could be uh, publicly be released during his trial. During the interview, he reflected on the time when he and his wife met Mandela, where Mandela was held in jail. Cosby's spokesman is denying he ever gave the interview to the paper and claims everything is false, but the Post is standing by the story. So he's convinced himself in his own mind that this is completely unfair, and he's a... uh, A martyr. He's a Uh, martyr. He's a South African dissident, apparently. And he's doing a (laughs) Mandela-like strong thing by he's going to jail and serve his time and everything. Boy, (sighs) as far as we know, Mandela didn't rape dozens of women, right? (laughs) No. No. Yeah, no Um, kidding. Uh, I suppose it's easier to deal with that than for him to just accept in his own mind I'm a lifetime rapist. Anyway, he turned down a deal last year, which would have required Cosby to, and this was a plea deal, he would have required to say he was guilty, serve under house arrest, register as a sex offender, and be on probation. That's a sex offender. And be on probation for an undisclosed period, but he wouldn't take the deal. He said, I'm not going to register as a sex offender. I didn't do any of the things that they said I did. Wow. But he could have taken that deal, and he'd have been out for the rest of his life. Wouldn't be any big deal to be a registered sex offender for him. Wouldn't have slowed down his life any. He would have been out and about and could lived out his old age, but he wasn't going to take that. So he either believed he could beat it, or he actually believes in his own mind he didn't do these things. There you go. That's a wrap. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. I would say it's probably the former, because if he got away with it 61 times or whatever, right. he probably thought the 62nd one wasn't going to you know, put him in jail either. Well, if I was innocent, I wouldn't sign up as a sex offender either. But there's no way he's innocent. So there's that. Well, right. Yeah, so it would seem. 
And they finally were able to make a big deal of the fact that the victim who got him convicted is a lesbian to prove that, A, she wouldn't have gotten with him, and B, he claimed, oh, no, 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 I can read women really, really well. And they were all willing. And she's saying, uh, no, I wasn't. Hmm. Old man. Um, uh, so you challenged us. I did. Can you accept the Joe Getty challenge of listening to these candid notes from classroom teachers? Okay, stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. So autocorrect, it'll get you every time. Huh. I um, yeah. l- luckily caught this when I was about to text back to my text back to my wife something that's really terrible, and it had and I was texting that's that's terrible, OMG that's terrible. Autocorrect changed it to that's terrific. Oh, oh, boy. I'm glad I caught that. Just heard you lost your mom, LOL. Oh, that's terrific. Oh, boy. Oh, maybe it'd be read as sarcasm. That's one of the worst autocorrects I've ever come across. Oh, boy. The difference between terrible and terrific is really quite a gulf. Yeah, I'd say. I'd say. And the gulf between what you might hear in various commercials or statements and reality in America's classroom. That's a pretty good gulf. We happen to have received um, a couple of notes from teachers about issues we've talked about. <clears throat> they will remain anonymous. Uh, as a public school teacher and a conservative-leaning individual, I have to tell you I live in fear of expressing many of my views and opinions. It's very frustrating. We spend so much time and money assisting English language learners that the rest of our students, um, now increasingly the minority who speak English uh, only, are left waiting and at times bored. The focus is on the Hispanic culture and making these children feel comfortable while encouraging American culture to be ignored. The teacher population is convinced that most of our students can go without food and appropriate clothing and school supplies. Uh, When I witness parents pulling up in new cars with coach purses and name brand clothing, uh, I spend an average of $200 a month buying supplies for my classroom, uh, long hours, etc. I still can't get caught up on the paperwork. The majority of my day is spent tackling behavioral issues or modifying my instruction for English learners. It's disheartening and exhausting. I know you know this, but I need to vent whilst sipping my oh, and grading papers. Uh, thanks for being reasonable, fair, and honest. We try. Um, and then this one. We're talking about inflated grades. And uh, this is someone who is citing a specific school district. I don't know this, but if I moved to Japan and uh, put my kids in school there, would they slow down the classroom to teach my kids Japanese? No, my brother lived in Japan for several years, and his kids uh, went to schools, and you pay for going to schools that are for uh, Japanese learners. That They're, you know, like private instructional thingies. The Japanese government doesn't say, oh, man, okay, kids, I, we're not going to teach in J- Japanese today because... Got a bunch of American kids here, so I guess, I don't know, read on your own for a while, and we'll teach them some, some Japanese for a while. That I doesn't a, happen. I picked an affluent country because, obviously, they're not going to do it in Mexico, for instance. Stop teaching the little kids so that they can bring your English-speaking kid up to speed. Right, right. 
Uh, but anyway, they're talking about uh, Santa Rosa, California high schools. Um, the headline, Santa Rosa high schools to require college prep classes for all students. This is somebody who taught uh, there for quite a long while. Uh, every level, from basic skills, English as a second language, college prep, AP classes, um, helped with a program dedicated to juniors and seniors who didn't pass the exit exam to try to bring them up to speed so they could pass the exit exam. Of course, the exam, because of political pressures, was done away with. The predominance of students in these classes were Hispanics, most of whom had been in the U.S. for fewer than two or three years. Their English language skills were minimal at best. They read at third grade levels and subsequently could barely write. Many of them never passed the test. Uh, I do wonder whether they've been given retroactive diplomas. There are more and more students like that in Santa Rosa School. Believe me, there's no way they can handle true college prep classes. The local community college will have to institute more remedial classes because of this. Dumbing down, down, down. Very poor forward thinking, but politically correct to the max. And that's what I object to it. I am absolutely willing to acknowledge that uh, both parties in the farm lobby and American industry have joined together to say, hey, hey, amigos, come in, come in, come in. We need your label or labor. We'll put you to work and we'll turn a blind eye. We won't really prosecute you. We practically don't really ship out anybody. We'll give you a driver's license. Come on in. And our brave government has been completely complicit with that. And I get that. I'm fine with it. All I'm asking is be honest about it. Say, you know what's happening at the local school district? We got so many kids in from Mexico and Central America that we're having trouble teaching the English-speaking kids because we got to put so much time and resources into the labor force that our government and industry have conspired to import. I guess... The politics of that wouldn't work. People would react with outrage to having it actually said out loud. Gambling in Casablanca, I'm shocked. The Wall Street Journal crowd doesn't care about the classroom problem. Nope. They're just, you know, big business, making more profits, driving up the stock market. So you got that end of it. Then you got, um, well, you got the cynical people who just want, you know, Hispanic votes. But then you've got the the utopians who every child deserves to learn. Absolutely right. Those little kids, you call it dumbing it down, but these kids aren't dumb. They just don't speak English. Nope. But that's the trouble with the utopian view. I mean, there's no way to do it that doesn't sacrifice... Uh, the children of uh, of citizens that are already here, and you can't do that. You Unless you have practically that. unlimited resources, and even then, it'd be extraordinarily difficult. And you'd have, you know, or you'd have to have cultural upheaval. You got to have two different classrooms. You'd have to have the right. money to have a classroom for the kids that don't speak English, and then a classroom for the kids who do speak English, because you can't put them together. No, but no. that would take an, an insane amount of money. And then you got to decide why are we doing this. So. It's uh, one of the great rationales for continuing this phony, phony charade is that this is what got us in trouble with Daryl Steinberg, the current mayor of Sacramento, all those years ago when Time magazine pointed out that in Sacramento, California, in an average schoolroom, they speak 57 languages, exclamation point. Isn't it wonderful? It's so diverse when it's just a horror. It's a horror show. Oh, my God. We had stacks of emails from teachers saying it's made it impossible to teach. And all we asked for was honesty about the challenges. And we were called for the hate mongers for pointing that out. Right, right. Which, you know, is to show you the state of political discourse. But, you know, I just appreciate some honesty. Since one of the great rationales is farmers, and we do have farmers say to us, I can't find white people who will pick this stuff. 
You know, I say we impose a national food tax where, you know, a dollar a of corn now costs $2. And we honestly pour that money into getting the, uh, the Spanish-speaking kids up to speed or whatever. I just, I don't, I don't appreciate the lying. I don't know who that's for exactly. Maybe a lot of people haven't caught on to it. I guess. I don't know. Mars is tired, though. Yeah, that's rough. Mine Aza ist. I can't remember the German. Because of the failures of American schools. Is, uh, I'm sure somebody will send it along. CBS Early Show going with Below the Beltway, the awful, hateful physical attack on Sarah Huckabee Sanders by the comedian at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. So is that this this social justice warrior comedian chick accidentally went a little far in uh, uh, making fun of a victim group, which is broadly women, so now the mob has turned upon her. Is that what's happening here? I guess. I just, all of you shut up. I guess. Quit with your, your look how grand we are dinner and the whole... Di- Go back to not having any cameras or microphones or anything. If y'all want to get together and talk about freedom of speech and the free press and, and all eat and drink and clink glasses, go ahead. Just keep it to yourself. One of her jokes was Mitch McConnell isn't here. He had a prior engagement. He's finally getting his neck circumcised. <laughs> what is that? That's a he has a flabby, floppy turkey neck joke. Kind of a, well, so that sounds like a physical attack on it a is, male. But nobody cares. Had you even heard that joke? Did nope. you even know she said it? Doesn't matter. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show.